Today, we're continuing on here in our look through uh, David's prayer journal. You know, it's kind of funny because both Luke and I did some psalms that weren't David's psalms, you know, but they're in the journal. I mean, you know, so anyway, (laughs) they're in there. Uh, And so today is actually a psalm of David, you know, just thought I'd I'd let you know that. Psalm 19. And uh, so why don't you uh, stand up? Uh, for the reading of God's Word, if you're able to. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read it. Today, let's, I want you to just listen. Today, just listen, and I'll, I'll read. Um, so this is Psalm 19. There's 14 verses here. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from my hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is God's word. Please have a seat. So we're titling this God's Spoken and Unspoken Revelation. And if you are interested in outlining this this chapter, really what you see is the first six verses are creation speaking, kind of like uh, the wordless book. (laughs) You know, it's like the creation creation itself speaks to the glory of God. And then verses 7 to 11 really is... uh, is God's special revelation, uh, his word, the law, as it's said here. You know, his word speaks, uh, and, and we learn who God is and what he wants for us. And, and, uh, and then we have uh, verses 12 to 14 is the response. It's, the, it's the David's response to this not only general revelation, if you will, uh, but the special revelation of God and his word and how that affects his life, and what he learns about himself, and what he, how he responds. So that's, that's kind of it. General revelation, special revelation, and then a response. Um, now, um, let's take a look at that first part here. That creation testifies uh, to God's existence in power. Uh, you know, just think about this, where if you, if you look, if you have your Bible there, if you have your device, and you look at that psalm, the, the first verse, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims, right? So 
it's attributing to creation a voice, right? And, and obviously, we, we get the sense that, hey, when you look at creation, you look at what God has done, you, you recognize there is a God, and He is powerful. And, and I don't know if you, how many people have ever been to uh, Niagara Falls before? Niagara Falls, I mean, you, don't you just, I mean, when you hear the roar of the falls, you're just like in awe, right? And it's just amazing just how much water and just how powerful that is. And you just get a sense of, wow, that's an amazing God that created these things. And I've never been to the Grand Canyon. How many here have seen the Grand Canyon? I, I was, would love to do that sometime. And... Um, I, I've just heard that when you look upon it, when you get close, you're just in awe. Um, and probably a proper use of the word awe, right, uh, is that. And so you just, you know, creation, in a sense, speaks of the glory of God, the power of God. Um, and, and so, and not only does it speak, but um, in verse 2, we get this idea that it, 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 sees, it, it never ceases to speak. Like it says in verse 2, it says, day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. So this, it just is never-ending, you know, when you, when you look up at the heavens at night, right? Uh, it's just an amazing display of uh, the constellations, and, you know, you can even see, you know, galaxies, and uh, it's, just, it's just amazing. So it's an unceasing speaking, um, and then... Also, we get from verses 3 and 4 that no person anywhere is without God's revelation through nature. Uh, In verses 3 and 4, he says, There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Now listen, he says, Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. So it's like there's no spot on the globe, uh, or even in the universe, where this uh, creation is not pointing to the glory of God, right? Then David, being a good teacher, gives us an illustration, all right? He, gives, he talks about the sun. And verse 5, he says, which comes out like, he says, um, well, verse, at the end of verse 4, in them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy, its rising is from the end of the heavens, its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat, right? Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, or even maybe a week ago, you know, we were, it's very humid, very hot, you know, and, and if you stepped outside, you would probably have said there is nothing escaping the heat of that sun. You just feel it, right? Um, but when you think about the sun, here's, here's something from the NASA website. It says, NASA... Office of Space and Science says our sun, the nearest star, is 93 million miles away. And that's why the sun, which is a million times the size of the earth, looks so small. It would take the space shuttle seven months to fly there. Our star and its planets are just one small part of the Milky Way galaxy. The Milky Way is so big that even at the speed of light, it would take 100,000 years to travel across it. I mean, just that little bit of information. You just see how vast and how... And you just, you just think of how the glory of God is... Just, he's power. He created this, 
this expanse, this this universe, and and the whole thing just you know points to him, a, a creator, uh, a powerful God, and and that's what we have here, just kind of laid out before us. Um, when you read in Romans chapter one, uh, it kind of summarizes this idea that creation is 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 pointing us to God. It says in Romans 1 verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So you see that? So uh, Paul, the writer of Romans, is saying uh, the fact that there is a God and he's all-powerful uh, is right there in front of us. You walk right out. You walk back on the back four acres of this property. You'll find all kinds of marvelous things. Even when you look down and you see a praying mantis, or a, I mean, yeah, you know, just imagine the the praying mantis is this cr- a crazy creature, you know? I mean, or the the walking stick thing. I mean, you know, blends right in. It's just it, it, it's just amazing, you know. Um, John Piper has said whenever he watched that series, I don't know if it was on Discovery Channel, whatever, called the Big Blue, Big Blue Planet. He said that was a worship video. Because he's like, when I see this stuff, you know, and he goes like, you know, poo-poo on the whole evolution thing, but that would be told through some of that stuff. But just hearing about um, these creatures and just the depths of the ocean and the things that live there, and he's just like, you can't help but just be amazed and in, 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 in awe of God. Uh, that's why he called it a worship video. You know, it's, I get it. Um, if you are interested in kind of learning some interesting creation facts uh, that might uh, spur you to worship, there is a, there's actually a devotional designed around that. When we were at Faith Walkers a number of years ago, Tom Short arranged for anybody that was there to download a free book. Uh, the name of it is called, let's see here, Inspired Evidence. Inspired Evidence. And uh, I just want to read, uh, uh, they're, just, they're very short little kind of vignettes. I wanted to read one of them to you uh, just on this theme of creation speaking to us about the glory of God. Um, the January 4th reading is about the design of snowflakes. Okay, It says, um, have you considered the beauty of a snowflake? A snowflake starts as, tiny, as a tiny crystal that forms around a speck of dust. As the water droplet freezes, the crystal starts to develop its six sides. As moisture is drawn into the crystal, the six branches begin to grow. As each snowflake is, is blown around in a cloud, it encounters different temperatures and moisture levels, resulting in no two snowflakes alike. If it is extremely cold, for example, minus 40 degrees Fahrenheit, diamond dust snowflakes form. As the temperature increase, increases, uh, different shapes will form. Uh, dendrites, prisms, or hollow columns, researchers are still mystified why the shape of snow crystals varies widely with temperature. 
Humidity also plays a factor. The more humidity present, the more complex the designs. The average complex snowflake is made up of 100 ice crystals. The number of ways these crystals can be arranged is staggering. The possible arrangements of these 100 crystals is greater than the total number of atoms in the universe. Uh, Thus, it is unlikely that any two complex snow crystals since the flood of Noah's time have ever been completely alike. Every snowflake is is truly unique. Uh, And the last thing it says here is, it is interesting to compare man-made snow uh, with snow machines to God-made snow. Man-made snow does not have any design but looks like rough gravel. Uh, With God's snow, snow, each snowflake is a unique design showing his creativity. God is still giving us new designs today. The next time it snows, uh, each snowflake on your, uh, what does it say? Catch a snowflake on a dark mitten and look to see the new design God has placed before your eyes. Just, I mean, that's one thing. Uh, but, but just, uh, and then it has a verse, uh, it has Psalm 147, 16, it says, he gives snow like wool, he scatters the frost like ashes. And just, it's just kind of an interesting way to kind of, and, and the, the writers of that devotional, the two writers, you know, science, Christian scientists, you know, so they're going to be coming at it from that standpoint. Just, just fascinating. There's a, <clears throat> John Piper mentioned he had a, he had an instructor one time, and his instructor made some resolutions. Two of them related to his being more observant about creation. Um, and I'll just share them with you. He said, and uh, this was his, his uh, Clyde Kilby was his teacher's name, and this was two of his resolutions. One resolution was, at least once every day, I shall, stead- I lo- shall look steadily up at the sky and remember that I, uh, that I a consciousness with a conscience, I'm on a planet traveling in space with wonderfully mysterious things above me and about me. He's just like, just to think about, I'm this little person on a globe that's rotating in a universe that's so vast, you know. And the other thing he said, he made this resolution, he said, I shall open my ears and eyes once, once every day. I shall simply stare at a tree, a flower, a cloud, or a person. I shall not then be concerned at all to ask what they are, but simply to be glad that they are. I shall joyfully allow the mystery of what Lewis calls their divine, magical, terrifying, and ecstatic existence. He's like, just take it in. That's what I take from that. He's like, take some time to really take it in. And don't just kind of whisk by, you know, and, and appreciate it and give God the glory. So the first six verses really dial us in to this uh, God's glorious creation, speaking of his glory and revealing that there is a God, an all-powerful one at that. And so then when we look at the next six verses, uh, or the the other verses, I should say, uh, we move into uh, just this idea from, we're we're kind of like transitioning from this idea of general revelation of God and his creation to special revelation. The Bible is, is God's special revelation. Without it and God's intervention in our lives, uh, Romans, I'll get back to that in a second, Romans actually says, without God's special intervention uh, in our lives and having this special revelation of how God reveals himself to us in the scriptures, we suppress the truth of God's existence. Okay, In other words, it's there, 
but uh, we would choose not to um, believe it, right? Uh, if if without God's intervention in our lives. Um, let me go ahead and read to you uh, those verses surrounding that verse that I read in Romans 1 before. Uh, verse 18 of Romans 1 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Verse 21. I read verse 20 before, right? Uh, about that creation is testifying about God. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, you know, there's, instead of worshiping the Creator who was making himself evident, right, um, they, they uh, chose to worship the creation or some creation of their own, right? And that's what any one of us does without the grace of God, without the Holy Spirit enlightening our hearts. We would be right there. We would be exchanging the glory of God for something else and worshiping really something else, someone else, okay? And so, uh, and so what we need to realize, though, is that the Word of God... Uh, is sufficient for us uh, in our lives to, 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 to help us understand who God is, who we are, how he wants us to live, all these things. And uh, if let me just refresh your memory on this passage in verses 7 to 11 here, right, uh, where it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Uh, and so, did you hear some of those things like the um, how God's Word actually is just not like passive, it's active. The Word of God is active, Right? And it does things like revive a soul, right? Because it says reviving soul. The Word of God transforms lives, right? Um, anyone who hears the Word of God or it's shared with them about the gospel of Christ, right? And if it falls on good soil of their heart, right, their, their life is transformed. Um, anyone who has put their faith in Christ has. But it starts with hearing you have to hear the Word of God, right? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ, right? And so, uh, so the Word of God revives us. It makes wise the simple. Actually, um, there's so much wisdom in the Word of God, right? Uh, Proverbs, uh, Solomon's literature. I mean, just uh, plus just other, just the, living the, uh, the way of Jesus, right? As, as a wise a way to live. Um, we know it's the only way we should be living, but I'm just saying there's wisdom there. And in doing that, uh, he says he makes wise the simple. Um, also, when we receive the Word of God, the truths that we take in, it rejoices our heart. 
right? Sometimes you'll read a verse or a scripture that just really connects with you and you respond with joy because you're like, that was, you feel like that was for me. That was for you, you know, Uh, but it rejoices our heart. Now, it also, uh, the scriptures tell us the way it really is. Uh, When it says it enlightens the eyes, right? Uh, What I take that to mean is that scripture is truth, okay? God's not pulling any punches, okay? We're not going to make up some nice little tale about mankind here. We're going to tell it like it is, uh, you know, and and that's what God does. He, He says, this is reality. I created it. Man fell. He chose to rebel. Uh, we've been living with the consequences ever since, but I uh, ha- had a plan from the beginning to rescue and restore and redeem. Uh, that Redeemer has come. He's, he's done what he came to do, the Son of God, you know, and, and he's awaiting to, uh, to really finalize that whole thing, that whole redemption will be finalized when Christ comes back and we have a new heavens and a new earth, right? And so, but that's the truth. That's enlightening, right? I mean, uh, when I became a Christian, I'm like, I got a whole new way of looking at the world now. Uh, it's, and it's reality. <laughs> it's not Greg's reality, or reality, quote, uh, air quotes there. It is reality what we see here, Okay. And so, uh, the scripture enlightens us. Um, it also endures forever. It's going to last. The word of the Lord uh, remains forever, right? Because it's truth, right? You're not going to change the truth. And then just says righteous altogether. It's all, all of it is good. All of it is right, right? And so, with all that, uh, you get down to verse 10 of Psalm 19, and he says, so therefore... It should be desired, like we should want to like take it in. We should really want it, right? So it says, to be desired more than gold. I don't know how much gold is an ounce right now, but I bet it's a lot, <laughs> okay, per ounce. I mean, I would just be interested to know. Somebody want to Google that? I'm just really curious, like how much gold is for an ounce? Eighteen or $1,900 an ounce, roughly? Okay, wow, okay. That's an ounce. An ounce is a teeny bit, right? Um, and so, like, okay, that's valuable. And he's saying, listen, the word of God should be desired more than that, right? More than money. And he says, it's sweeter than honey, right? Even drippings of the honeycomb, right? So if you like honey, some people don't like honey, so you can't really, you know, if, but if you're a honey liker, if I can use that, then, you know, this is good stuff. He's saying, you want it. You want it. And so he says, uh, moreover, uh, as thy servant warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. It's like you live this way. You live according to the word of God. There's blessing. There's reward. So you look at it it's like, who wouldn't want that? You know, got to get me some word. You know, I mean, that's what you should be saying, right? And so... Uh, when you think about all these attributes that are listed about God's word, and lay that over top, lay that over top of maybe our current excitement for the word of God, not to shame any of us, but just to say, you know, Lord, stir it up in me. Let me see the truth of this here. These verses that say what a blessing that is. 
uh, and, and then, you know, drive me to the word. Uh, bless me when I'm in it, you know. Um, I wanted to share with you uh, something that I ran across. Um, and this, this would, uh, now don't check on me, check out on me if you don't have kids right now or something. But listen to this little bit of research here. I just ran across this. Uh, I heard about it a couple of years ago, but just recently ran across it again. Um, and it's an article that was from the Gospel Coalition. And it says, the title is, Parents Take Note of the Spiritual Practices Common to Kids Who Flourish as Adults. Okay? Um, and so uh, let me give you a little bit of the background. I want to share something that relates to what we're talking about. Um, it says, um, let's see here, a new LifeWay, Lifeway research study commissioned by LifeWay Kids surveyed 2,000 Protestant and non-denominational churchgoers who attend church at least once a month and have adult children ages 18 to 30. So these, their, their kids are adults now. Okay? And it says, the goal of the project was to discover what parenting practices were common in the families where young adults remained in the faith, what affected their moral and spiritual development? What factors stood out? Now, I got to put a parenthesis around this because every child has a will of their own. Okay, you got to—we all got to realize that. Okay, uh, but as a parent, we just try to do the best we can to set them up right spiritually. Does that make sense? Put them on the right path. Okay, that's that's all you can do. You pray. And that's it. But then they got to make decisions. So you hear that first, okay? Um, and so, so all they did was they did a study, and they tried to find what some of the common characteristics of those adult children who went on to follow the Lord in, in their faith. So here's one of the things. Bible reading was number one. Bible reading. The largest factor was Bible reading. Children who wrecked children who regularly read the Bible while they were growing up, were more likely to have a vibrant spiritual life once they became adults. Now, that's probably not a big surprise, maybe, but uh, just uh, uh, an encouragement for parents to, you know, when they're young and they can't read, read an age-appropriate Bible to them. Get the picture Bible, get the, the big Bible story books, whatever you got to do. Uh, just, uh, you know, teach them the Bible, read the Bible to them, maybe when they're going to bed or whatever. Uh, But get it, and then when they're old enough to read, right, uh, get them a Bible that they can read. And maybe while you're having your quiet time, right, you can have them just for five minutes, right? Everybody's got a different attention span and has you know, you got to train to kind of sit still. So five minutes, man, just five minutes, right? Have them read the Bible, their Bible, you know, and talk about it with them. So uh, you get the idea. And then as they grow older, try to uh, grow the Bible up with them, right? And so you're modeling it. Uh, and, and they're getting in the Word, okay? Uh, the, I'll just quickly list off the other ones. Prayer and service. Uh, they did not delineate whether it was uh, corporate or, pr- or private prayer, uh, but prayer and service in the church. Okay? Now, 
this got me thinking, we need to get the kids back, whatever kids are here, and I don't have to have a lot of kids, as we can, as we can uh, get them serving in the church, like when we had a lot of kids and they were serving the church. Some of them were in the band, some of them were doing refreshments, some of them, were, you know, you can help greet, you can do whatever. I'm sure we could do all kinds of things. But it's got me thinking, uh, I could definitely see that, you know, how that is a way, a connection of, because then it also feeds the idea that church is not like a consumption thing. It's a, it's a way where we serve the Lord together. So, and, and many are doing that, I'm, but I'm just saying, you know, just keep doing that or find ways to do that, or we can try to help you find ways to do that and connect here. Um, so it's just a good, it's a good thing, uh, serving together in the church. Singing Christian songs. That was interesting. Uh, you know, it makes sense. Um, it says, what may surprise you is how high up on the list was this factor. Listening primarily to Christian music. Uh, And the the author of the article says, Christian contemporary music gets a bad rap these days, usually for being more inspirational than theological. Uh, Although this guy says, I think this is a stereotype and not just true. It's not true across the board. So uh, we, but he says, we shouldn't dismiss the truth behind Augustine's ancient observation. And here it is, that we sing the truth into our hearts. We sing the truth into our hearts. That's true for adults, right? Singing the truth, listening to Christian music. Um, they end this with saying, although, uh, it says, also noteworthy was finding lower on the list that listening primarily to secular music was an indicator that negatively affected one's spiritual life. I think it really just comes down to, you know, garbage in, garbage out, right? The, the more of something that is coming into you, the more that does affect you. I'm not saying that you shouldn't ever listen to secular music. I'm just saying they're saying it was a factor, okay? I'll mention the last thing. Uh, culture, not programs. Creating a culture, not about the programs, okay? It says, for decades now, many Christians have assumed that certain church programs are the key factors in a child's spiritual development. Vacation Bible school, youth group activities, Sunday school, and so on. But the research study shows that these programs, they do make an impact when they are connected with these other habits, but not on themselves. In other words, you don't want to be one of those parents that just dump your kids off at the VBS or youth group, and you don't have any other type of spiritual input and have these other habits of, Bible reading and all that going on, serving together. Does that make sense? Uh, you can't expect a youth group to raise your kids spiritually. It can have a positive impact, like, but it's not going to do it by itself. I think that's what the research is saying. Anyway, the reason I brought it was for the Bible reading, uh, but I just thought really interesting information. This was just, it's, it's a two-year-old, uh, well, I guess it's four years old now. <laughs> Time passed quickly. 2018, that was a 2018 study. Um, and they did actually uh, have a book that came out of it, I think. Um, uh, oh, it's called Nothing Less. Okay, Nothing Less is the book if you're interested. So, um, but since we're talking about loving the scriptures and, and the benefits of it, and they're saying, you know, as, as parents or even grandparents, you know, if you're a grandparent, uh, you know, that's a mission field, right? Uh, so getting the word into them in various ways. I mean, we, we try to do everything, you know. I mean, remember when Bible Man was a thing? 
Remember, we went and saw Bible Man at Grove City Naz, you know, the live version, not this animated stuff. This was live, okay? <laughs> that was the real deal. Uh, who was that dude that played Bible Man? Willie Ames from Eight is Enough or something? Okay, uh, you have to look it up on YouTube if you don't know what we're talking about. But anyway, but that was scripture-based fun things. All right, back to the sermon. Um, but, but you see that God's special revelation, his, in this case we're talking about his word, has an incredible impact and transforms lives, right? And so David, as he says, creation speaks to us about God. His word gives us uh, incredibly important information about who he is and who we are, uh, right? Then he goes on in verse, uh, verses 12 to 14, and we see his response to this revelation, okay? And uh, let me just remind you of what these verses say. Verse 12 says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from my hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. So he's kind of like talking about his sin. He's like, who's, you know, uh, you know, even just even that first question there, who can discern his errors, declare me innocent from my hidden faults, the stuff that I don't even know about, right? The Word of God, right, as we see in James, is like a mirror and reads us. And he can't, the God of the universe, through this special revelation of his Word, can read us like a book and can expose the, the fact that we have these hidden sins, but also just that we are sinful, right? And David's like, you know, when I... When I see the law and I read the law, yes, it has all these incredibly powerful transformational effects, but it also shows me that I'll fall short, doesn't it? That's what he's saying. And so, as he goes on there and he finishes, uh, you know, he's really just um, asking that God would, um, in a sense, save him from his sin. He's, uh, he wants to be blameless and innocent. He says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. And listen how he addresses the Lord. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. <laughs> my redeemer. He knows he needs redeemed. He knows he's there because he's had this special revelation, the word of God, coupled with the general revelation of creation, speaking of a creator, an all-powerful God, Right? He sees his need. He casts himself on the mercy of God. And that's really, really what the Word of God does. I was um, thinking about uh, some, some scriptures here. Um, Timothy came to my mind. Um, uh, Timothy in the Bible, here's the 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15 says, But as for you, so, so Paul's talking to Timothy, he says, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Verse 15, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the scriptures, special revelation. So he says he's been acquainted with those. And those scriptures, listen to what it says next which are able to make you wise for salvation. They turn the light bulbs on. 
They help us see we have a need for a Savior and that Jesus is it. You know, you start making the connections, right? But it says he was taught, and we know this from his mother and his grandmother. uh, You know, Paul tells us that Timothy, he had spiritual influence there. And so he knew, he, he was taught the Scriptures from when he was young. But the Scriptures, it's not just about gathering information. He's saying, He's like, they should make you wise to salvation, that you would understand God's path of salvation, how you can come to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, right? And so we we just see David's response is kind of casting himself on God. And that should be the response of any person now who reads the scriptures, you know, and you read, let's just say you read Romans, and you start reading there and say, oh, okay, we're lost and we're in deep doo-doo. You know, well, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Christ, through Christ our Lord, because then we see here comes the hero, you know, Jesus Christ to save us from our sins, right? And then he says in Romans 10, 9, and 10 that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in the heart God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. And so, you know, you get good and lost, you got the hero, and we can, we can be saved, right? And that's, it's not just a story, it's true, right? I mean, that's that's... That's how the scriptures can make us wise to salvation. And that's why it's so important for us to ourselves take it in and reap all those wonderful benefits that are mentioned in the middle of this psalm. But then also uh, for those that we know, that's why studying the Bible is so great, right? Because, you know, the Holy Spirit's working. Things start connecting, uh, start working on our hearts and draw us to the Savior. We see that we need a Savior. Because, you know, nobody's going to think they, you know, is going to go to Jesus unless they see they've got a problem. I mean, a, a sin problem, like what the real problem is, right? Now, Jesus Christ, we, we're talking so much about special revelation, right? Uh, and the scriptures is, is, a, is a miraculous special revelation of God himself. But Jesus Christ himself is the ultimate special revelation of who God is, right? And what he's like, uh, Hebrews, the opening verses in Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, you can kind of see the Star Wars scrolling thing, you know? Uh, that, that, you know but wouldn't it be cool to do with Hebrews, you know? Uh, you could do that. Luke could do that. He's got the technology. Uh, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now listen to what he says about Jesus here. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, of God's nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so saying, you know, Jesus Christ, the ultimate revelation of who God is and what he desires for us and has for us, right? And the fact that even ties it in with creation is kind of cool. He said, you know, Jesus was involved in the creation, right? But saying that, that he upholds the universe by the word of his power, it's like by a word all these atoms could just... Right? I mean, it just, I mean, it just blows your mind. Um, but Jesus Christ, 
right, uh, is the ultimate revealing of who God is and what he has for us, right? So let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and just um, are just amazed at what you've made. We think about when people uh, mention the wonders of the world and different locations and incredible gardens and the pyramids and all these sorts of things, but anything you've created far outdoes anything man ever could make. And Lord, we are in all that. Lord, help us to even be more worshipful in how we see what you've created. Worshiping the creator, of course, not the creation, but just being in all of the intricate things that you've made, creatures, plants, all of that. And Lord, we also just help us to not um, help us to not lower uh, our value of your word, but just elevate it. Where we realize when we see that it revives our soul, it rejoices our heart, it, that it makes us wise, and all these incredible blessings. And, and in following it, it says there is great reward. Increase our hunger, Father, for your word. And also, Lord, we pray uh, for our parents. Bless them. It's very challenging parenting. Help them to see how they might, in their context, uh, get the Word of God into their children's lives and that their children would start to read the Bible uh, when they're of age and, and take it in and, and really meet you there and ha come into their own personal relationship with you. Uh, equip the parents, Father. They're, it's very challenging. And um, encourage them, strengthen them, uh, and, and, and let us be able to cheer them along too that are, are either done with that phase or just here uh, wanting to support them. And so, Lord, we just uh, pray also that we would have a proper response to your word, like David did here. Uh, his was about recognizing his need for you. And maybe that's where somebody is today, never really recognized a need for a Savior. And so, Lord, we pray if that's where someone is today, that they would put their faith and hope in what Jesus did on the cross for their sins, uh, acknowledging that we, we all are sinners, but we individually are sinners. We've done things that have caused a separation between us and our God who does love us, but is not one who's going to sweep it under the rug but he's saying that someone has to pay for that, um, that sin. And uh, we can either receive Christ's payment or we will have to pay the penalty ourselves uh, in separation from God for all eternity. And so, Lord, I pray that today, uh, if anyone is there in that place, that they might put their hope in Christ and just confess their need for his saving grace and forgiveness and receive it. And Lord, um, those of us that, uh, um, Lord, help us to, that, that are maybe waning in our, our, our Bible intake, uh, Lord, just revive it, we pray. Give us a hunger again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.